morning. Uh, the wisdom of God comes to us today from the book of Proverbs, uh, several Proverbs from Proverbs 3, 5, 13, 17, 18, 20, 22, 29, and 31. You are welcome to follow along on page 6 of the bulletin, if you so please. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. A rebuke impresses a discerning man more than a hundred lashes a fool. He who loves a wife, or he who finds a wife, finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are the children after them. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you've surpassed them all. These days, the lectura de hoy viene del libro de Proverbios y puede ser encontrado en la página 7. Hijo mío, no desprecies la disciplina del Señor, ni te ofendas por sus reprensiones, porque el Señor disciplina a los que ama, como corrige un padre a su hijo querido. Bendita sea tu fuente, goza con la esposa de tu juventud, es una gacela amorosa, es una cerbatilla encantadora, que sus pechos te satisfagan siempre, que su amor te cautive todo el tiempo. No corregir al hijo es no quererlo. Amarlo es disciplinarlo. Cala más un regaño en el hombre prudente que cien latigazos en el obstinado. Quien haya esposa, haya la felicidad. Muestras de su favor le ha dado el Señor. Justo es quien lleva una vida sin tacha. Dichoso los hijos que siguen su ejemplo. Instruye al niño en el camino correcto y aún en su vejez no lo abandonará. La vara de la disciplina imparte sabiduría, pero el hijo malcriado avergüenza a su madre. Mujer ejemplar, ¿dónde se hallará? Es más valiosa que las piedras preciosas. Su esposo confía plenamente en ella y no necesita de ganancias malavidas. Sus hijos se levantan y la felicitan. También su esposo la alaba. Muchas mujeres han realizado proezas, pero tú las superas a todas. 
already. We've had a, a full service, lots of different components, really uh, graces for each of us. But let's briefly turn our attention to God's word. And let me say a word of prayer before we continue. God, we uh, ask for a special kind of focus that only your Holy Spirit can give, uh, a focus of the heart, not just of the mind and of the body, that we need that too. Uh, but that we would be able to hear from you and to know and trust and have confidence that who we're really listening to is not just this one flawed and limited person up here, but really through these words, through your word, we're hearing from you. And help us to receive it in that way, which means with a lot of hope and a lot of humility, which we can only find in you. So bless this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying the topic of wisdom through the book of Proverbs several weeks now throughout the summer. And, well, what's wisdom, you say? Well, we've been saying, as one author has put it, that wisdom is skill for living when there's no obvious rule to go by. Wisdom is skill for living when there's no obvious, no black and white, clear-cut rule and command, even from the Bible necessarily, for the different challenges that we have and the trials that we face in life, which is why we need wisdom so badly to do relationships well. Because relationships are messy and murky sometimes and require a little bit of dancing because that's the nature of who we are as people. Complex, eternal in our souls, profound. And so nothing requires wisdom more than relationships, and so it shouldn't surprise us just how much we find piece after piece of wisdom in the book of Proverbs so full of instruction and counsel as related to human relationships as, we, as we've already studied, as we've seen week after week, and most specifically relationships in the family, husbands and wives and parents and children and such. In fact, most of the book is written through the literary structure, through the voice of a father giving advice and counsel to his son, instructing his boy, you heard an example of that in the first proverb read today, Proverbs 3, addressing my son. So here we have wisdom for singles and families, and we'll just take it in that way in three quick little categories here. First, wisdom for singles. Secondly, wisdom for marrieds, husbands and wives. And then lastly, wisdom for parents. Can we look at that? And then we'll have Q&A afterwards. So jot down your questions. We'll talk about it some more. Wisdom for singles. You know, singlehood, we understand, I understand, for some of us, for some of you, is an intensely difficult topic, wrought with disappointment, unfulfilled desire to be married or to be a father or, for a, mo or a mother. For some of you, this is the biggest trial or challenge that burns on your heart, that fills your prayers. For others of you, this topic of singlehood is sort of irrelevant in the sense that you're single, but it's sort of, what's the big deal? I'm just doing my own thing, and that's the way I like it. Well, here the Proverbs has a few things to say to us, to our singles. Proverbs 18.22. We'll make the most of this one. 18.22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. A simple reminder that to find a wife or a husband is a blessing. 
This verse calls it a good thing, calls it favor from the Lord. But you notice what the passage does not say and what God's word never does say is that it's something that's guaranteed. Notice the verse doesn't say every person will find a spouse. Some won't. Some won't as quickly as they want. Some will find themselves called to celibacy in many cases out of of a devotion to serving God in a unique way that can only be maximized through and in their singlehood. This often comes with heartache. This often comes with difficulty. And yet, if we look at it carefully, it often can come with an amount, uh, an immense amount of blessing and fruitfulness for God's sake. You take, for example, the story of Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. I guess that's the theme of today. Uh, India from 1895 when she was 28 years old through the end of her life. She started an orphanage. She was working with girls who had been sold into slavery as prostitutes in Hindu temples. And she was never married, in fact, through to the day that she died. Not because she didn't want to be married at times. Not that she didn't struggle with it. And yet absolutely she saw the effectiveness of her life uniquely because of her singlehood. And it wasn't because she didn't see the gifts and the proclivities of heart towards motherhood and towards spousehood. But she actually says it's precisely because she did have those things that she was effective in her unique calling of ministry. Listen to one thing that she wrote. Perhaps because there are so many perishing for lack of love in a world that can be hard and cold to birds which have no nests of their own, referring to the orphans that she worked with. That God wants some mother hearts to be free to make nests for them. In other words, that she was actually effective as a single missionary precisely because she was gifted to be a mother. Precisely because she was skilled as a caregiver. Precisely because her heart overflowed with a desire to connect And to nurture, not despite it, but because of it. Which is a reminder that even in singlehood, even in frustrated singlehood, even in frustrated trusting singlehood for many, you may have gifts and even an urge to be in relationship with husband and children. And yet there are ways in which God absolutely would rejoice in using that urge and those gifts, whether temporarily or in an extended fashion long-term, to the service of others in other contexts. A unique ability for you to pour yourself out as a sort of surrogate mother or wife through friendship, through care of those who are vulnerable, through love in community. Don't miss those opportunities, dear single friend. There's something else this verse, however, reminds us. And that is that the gospel uniquely keeps us in a secure and stable place in our singlehood. In fact, one way that we might be able to put it is that the gospel keeps us from wanting marriage too much 
but it also keeps us from wanting marriage too little as well. Notice again what Proverbs 18.22 says here. Uh, some of us are, are running as fast as you can and as hard as you can from singlehood. You want to be married so badly, you need to be married so badly that it's almost as if you read this verse and in your head it says, he who finds a wife finds what is good, no, but rather he who finds a wife finds what is God. <laughs> Not just good, but God. It's something that you bow your need to, need so much because it's the ultimate thing of all your hopes and dreams and sources of significance and self-value and worth. Notice the difference in this passage. It says, he who finds a wife receives favor from the Lord, which clearly implies that marriage is from the Lord. Marriage is not the Lord. Only Jesus can be Jesus to you. And he promises to be the one source of perfect, unfailing love to you. He promises to be your true spouse. He calls himself the heavenly bridegroom. He promises to you a loyalty that no human being and no human relationship can fulfill. He promises you unfettered affection and service that perfectly complements your needs, even empowers your gifts. He promises to you to be for you the perfect husband or the perfect wife that you never had or may never have. He is there for you. This is Jesus. Jesus for you. This is the story of the gospel. Christ, your perfect spouse. Some of us are running from singlehood. Some of us, on the other hand, are running from marriage. Especially in modern society, how cynical we are about marriage, afraid of that relationship, avoiding, delaying indefinitely. Of course, a lot of it is because a lot of us come from broken families that have made you scared of commitment, scared of what you might call marital suffering. But I think in this day and age, if we're honest with ourselves, one of our greatest fears is actually the loss, the fear of the loss of our independence and of our freedom. Where we want to retain our freedom to serve ourselves or to serve our own individual dreams, pursuing a life of personal fulfillment. Again, from Proverbs 18, finding a husband or a wife is a good thing. It's a, a good thing, not a cursed thing. Doesn't mean it doesn't have its share of challenges. It does, but it's a good thing. Earlier, we were reminded that marriage is not the Lord, not itself. Here, we're reminded that freedom and independence is not the Lord. The way we can worship having an unshackled, unfettered, unimpeded ability to live for me. I'm not saying that's the case for all singles. I'm not saying that marriage automatically is the solution for that, a cure for that disease of all of our hearts, which is just simply self-centeredness, selfishness. And yet if this is you, afflicted with this fleeing from marriage, here the gospel story addresses us again. Because the story of Jesus is the story 
of a love that binds itself to another person. Love, by its very definition, as Jesus has presented it to us in the cross, a is a love that limits its own freedom, that comes at a cost to my independence to serve you, to put you first, to lay down my life as Jesus ha has. That in fact, the principle of the gospel is you'll never experience genuine love, gospel love, if you don't lose some of your freedom. This gospel, which is the story of sacrificial love. God himself, the freest of all free beings, limiting himself in the form of a human body. Limiting his economic freedom coming as a common person, working class, sometimes homeless, no place to lay his head. Limiting his freedom to unfettered affection from people, subjecting himself to rejection, even hatred, even death. Dying on the cross, not for his own sins, because he had none, but suffering for the sins of those who would embrace him and call him their own. Doing it not because you asked him to, but simply because he loved. Why did you do it, Jesus? Simply because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. And the story of this love again and again in scripture is a love that binds itself, that limits itself, that gives itself, that sacrifices independence and freedom as a joy and as a glory for the good of another person. The gospel then gives us freedom finally, maybe finally in our singlehood, and I've been there myself, I tell you, freeing us perhaps from wanting marriage too much because you have in your hearts the story of Christ your spouse, or wanting marriage too little in all your fears perhaps of losing your freedom because you have in your hearts now the story of true sacrificial love on the cross so that now finally you can give yourself in service to others, making the most of the calling that you have on your life as a single person with all the blessings and with all the unique gifts that you have available to you in your singlehood. What if we looked at it that way? What if we looked to expend ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others, making the most of it, even while waiting on the Lord. Wisdom for our singles. Secondly, now, wisdom for husbands and wives. Now, of course, there's tons the book of Proverbs has to say, that the whole Bible has to say to husbands and wives. For example, the importance of maintaining passion in one's marriage whether sexual or emotional. You heard it in Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. The Bible never holds back on the kind of passion that we are called to unleash in our marriages. Is that something you strive for, labor for together if you've been called 
into the covenant of marriage. But we're going to focus briefly on only one theme, and it's one that we find in Proverbs 31, verses 10 and 11. Let me read it for you, and also verses 28 and 29. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What's the theme here? Praise and affirmation is a critical ingredient to a flourishing marriage. Even the language that's used here, excellent wife, which can also be translated strong or noble wife. She's excellent. She's far more precious than jewels. The greatest earthly treasure that you have is your spouse, dear married folks. And then look at verse 28 again. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. It's this picture, if you could just see it, of the kids of mom or dad respectfully speaking to their mother, rejoicing over mom, telling her they esteem her, that they admire her. Not just mom, you're great, but mom, we see God's blessing. We see God's favor upon your life. We, in fact, see God and his fingerprints on your life in our home through you. You trace what the proverb is saying here. Where did the kids learn to talk like that? Where did they learn to talk like that? From dad. From dad. He praises her. Verse 28. He praises her. Many women have done excellently. But you surpass them all. This wisdom is pointing to the importance of cultivating a rich atmosphere of encouragement in the home. And I tell you these days, that humbles me. It's actually a point of wisdom that's backed by academic research. Psychotherapist John Gottman, uh, one of the foremost experts in marriage counseling therapy, points out that the single biggest factor that he has found that determines the long-term health of a marriage at the risk of oversimplifying things, but one factor was the ratio of positive to negative comments that a husband and a wife made to one another. In fact, again, this is statistical research, and they're even able to drum up a, a ideal ratio, the optimal ratio of positive comments to negative comments in a healthy marriage was five to one. Five words of affirmation and encouragement to ev for every one word of critique or criticism. And in fact, the research showed that those marriages that fell apart had a ratio of about every of four negative comments for every three positive comments. And of course, it stands to reason, it makes sense, just the kind of ways in which positive comments are helpful and needed, and yet the stamp or the footprint that a negative comment leaves on a person's heart, and you feel it, you've felt it, it lingers longer, it seems to stay with you more, it needs to be overwhelmed 
with words of encouragement and praise. And of course, this principle, it applies to both husband and wife. But I'd say even the emphasis of the book of Proverbs is that the responsibility starts especially with the husbands. As not only the leaders, but the tone setters and the pace setters in the family. Of course, the challenge is, is not a lot of dudes are great at it, not naturally at least. God give us grace to be the lead affirmers and the lead praisers in our families. How does your wife or your husband excel? Tell her. In front of the children, tell him. Tell her. In front of the neighbors, tell them tonight. Do it. And even set aside, perhaps practically, uh, the goal, maybe for a week, and test it out and experiment the difference with the difference that it makes one affirmation every day for the next seven days. Just make sure that you do it. Something that you are saying or doing that's giving consistent affirmation, which is always better than a big heap of it all at once and then no, nothing for a long stretch of time. And sometimes even this requires what some have called the 10-minute rule, that you are actually carving out time in the busyness of life every single day, talking to your spouse for at least 10 minutes about something other than four topics that tend to crowd out life. Work, family, who's going to be doing what around the house, responsibilities, or your relationship itself, especially if you're going through stuff. Set those topics aside. Give each other face-to-face time just to talk, to get to know each other. If you're on the road, do it over the phone. If you need to, over email, definitely strive to do it in person. Carving out 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day. That's all it takes for God to pour out immeasurable grace into your relationship. 10 minutes for incredibly powerful affirmation and encouragement. To boast in all that God has been for your spouse and through your spouse in your life. And make it a joy. Make it a habit. Wisdom for singles, wisdom briefly for our husbands and wives, and lastly, wisdom for parents. Try to work through this quickly. Wisdom for parents. Parents like things short and snappy, so that's just how we'll do it here. Number one, number one, I know you got no time to listen, so here. Number one, it's worth it. Number one, it's worth it. I know some of you are in a stage of having young children, and you're pulling out your hair, and you're not sure you're going to make it. You're not sure if it's worth the time that you're putting in and the energy that you feel like you're investing to your toddler who maybe has good days but also has a lot of bad days, which means you've got a lot of good days but even more bad days it feels like sometimes. Proverbs 22.6, start children off on the way they should go and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start now, and even when they're old, you will have made an imprint on their lives, shaping their patterns, the way they see the world, the way they relate to God, the way they see themselves. You are investing now through this critically intensive period 
that is going to be bearing fruit for many years. Some of you older parents who have passed through that early stage, be generous in your testimony that it's true. You're done with parenting. At least of that young stage, parenting never ends, right? You've told me that. Bless the younger parents by showing them the wisdom of this proverb. You start now. You cash in for years and years on the care and the training that you've given. Keep the long term in view. Number two, kids learn by looking. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. It's a reminder here that children learn by imitation. What we say, how we respond, what we do. It can freak you out when you think about it too much, right? The way I see our daughter literally copying the things that I say and do and even treating Paula with the same manner with which I treat my wife. It's a humbling thing. You have a child, you end up with a mirror in front of you. And yet, remember here, and this is a joy, that when the Old Testament uses the language of being righteous and blameless, in the Old Testament, that doesn't just mean being morally perfect, but it also means rightly devoting yourself to the offerings and sacrifices that were provided to God's people in the Old Testament, which, of course, pointed forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. In other words, the righteousness and blamelessness that this proverb is talking about includes modeling for our children, maybe most importantly, repentance and renewal. Not moral perfection, but a heart that is hungry for grace. A heart that rejoices in the mercy of God. A heart that can say to your child, even the little itty-bitty ones, Daddy needs grace too. Mommy's a sinner that needs a Savior too. Because they're going to learn from your example of repentance and faith in Jesus as well. Because kids learn by looking as well as by listening Let's turn to number three here. Kids learn by tough love. Kids learn by tough love. The word discipline that we find all throughout the Old Testament through the book of Proverbs can also be translated instruction and correction. We're being encouraged to correct our children, to hold them accountable. But let me note, it's not only correcting their disobedience, but also training them in their obedience, celebrating when they do things well, celebrating before them when they repent, when they ask for forgiveness, when they have a humble heart, not just when they follow all our rules and do exactly what we say. You understand time and again, the Proverbs say things like you got to discipline your child. Proverbs 13, 24, the second half, the one who loves their child, their children, is careful to discipline them. you got to be able to say no to them from time to time and to redirect their desires and their dreams as an act of love. How do we do it? First, reprimand, that is through words. Proverbs 29, 15, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, 
but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. So even before we get to the physical discipline stuff, we'll get there in about 30 seconds, don't forget the importance, even the centrality of words. Verbal correction, it doesn't always mean a raised voice. Some of us think that's all you have in your toolbox is getting louder, getting meaner. Some of the most effective correction happens through a quiet whisper. Just when the kid expects differently for them to hear a change of tone and volume to get their attention. In fact, a lot of encouragement and affirmation verbally absolutely needs to be a part of this correction. The Proverbs is talking about having lots and lots of talking and explaining and instructing being a part of our training of our children. But not only reprimand verbally, but also a rod. It's pointing to some kind of physical discipline, something like spanking. Bible doesn't explicitly command or require spanking, but it does urge us to receive it as a means of discipline that will ben- be beneficial for most children, especially because the way in, in early development where a child doesn't process cognitively, we forget that sometimes, having a physical, tactile reminder of pain actually communicates to their heart better. Sometimes it's actually a more just and fair and quick way to communicate to a child's heart. We have a hard time with this, especially because of the ways in which it has been applied and practiced wrongly. Please understand, this is not an invitation to any forms of physical abuse. It cannot be used to legitimate child abuse. A lot of sensitivity and care needs to be applied to a child's personality and temperament. A lot of thought needs to be given to what's age appropriate. Again, the importance of words in instructing a child. But hear the importance of the gospel in the way in which even spanking rightly administered, if a parent chooses to do it, might do it. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Which reminds us that everything that you do as a parent to the child is meant to be an echo, an image, a reminder, an extension of who God has been to you. So how has God loved you? How has God corrected you? How has God rightly confronted you and held you accountable? It means that even in applying some form of physical punishment, it needs to be done out of love and not anger. Not out of rage or hate or a desire to do harm, but out of a desire that the child grow and learn. And this should be told to the child repeatedly all throughout the process. How does God discipline with the finality of pardon? That no physical punishment should ever be administered without some clear, spelled out, face-to-face, sometimes tear-filled word of pardon. You are forgiven. And I love you. 
and we restore the relationship together because God in his anger does not remain that way forever. He is merciful and kind and forgiving and compassionate over and over and over again. Pointing them to their heavenly parent is critical in whatever form of discipline we choose. And yet we need to choose something and some way of communicating to the heart of a child. It's one of the important ways in which we love them, walk with them. This is God's word of wisdom to us as parents, and we do need a lot. God gives us grace for all these things, whether single or married or married with children. The start of it all, as we've heard time and again, is the fear of the Lord, meaning a heart that says, I need help. Are you there today? A person that says, whatever stage of life and station in life I'm in, what's true of me, what's true of all of us, is I need help. I need the Lord. Do you have that heart? He'll fill you with grace if you come with that heart. He will give you what you need, wisdom for your relationships. Let's pray. God, we're asking that you would help us now and that you would equip us Give us what we need, what we don't have. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.